Welcome to The Coaching Podcast with your hosts, Emma Doyle and Simon Blair, coach for success in sport and business. G'day, everybody, and welcome to The Coaching Podcast. I'm Emma Doyle here with Chuck Gill. I've tried to get hold of him for years. Oh, my goodness, all my dreams have come true in this one moment at the USPTA conference here in Las Vegas. Chuck, so happy to have you on the show. Look, I'm going to jump straight into it. The first question is the Vegemite question, the Australian spread. You either love it, you hate it, or you haven't tried it. What do you, what's your take? Well, my take on it is uh, Gary Trost turned me on to it, and I don't know how you people eat it. <laughs> I can't imagine a more fouler thing that you gladly put in your mouth. It's terrible. <laughs> well, we grew up on it, and we absolutely love it. However, on the coaching podcast, because you answered that way, the follow-up question is, can you share with us your worst coaching moment, and what were the lessons? Oh, my God. I was, I was explaining to someone not long ago my worst coaching moment, and it was actually when I was about 20 years old. I was coaching adults. I thought I knew everything. I had done all the little – I was teaching in an adult camp, and I was explaining to a very uh, tall fellow why it's okay to stand out from the alley when your partner's serving. Now, unfortunately, he was playing with a rel- relatively new male player whose serve was going all over the place, and I kept explaining to him that because of where your partner's standing, the angle would have to be so far outside the other uh, side's alley that there's no way the ball would possibly hit him in the head. So the fellow begrudgingly moved out to the center of the service box where he's supposed to stand. And as you can imagine, on the very next serve, the ball, like at about 120 miles an hour, hit him in the back of the head. His glasses shot off of his head <laughs> onto the other side of the court, and his glasses shattered, and the glasses broke. And I was greeted by, um, at age 20, by a student uh, basically calling me an a-hole. <laughs> So that wasn't one of my better moments. There have probably been some much worse in since, but that, that comes to mind comes as a really bad mind. coaching moment. Yeah, and the lesson there, of course, I mean, if anyone could have seen my face when he was telling that story, I could almost see it happening right then and there. And the lesson... Never say never. Keep your sense of humor. <laughs> Un- expect the unexpected. <laughs> I love it. Fantastic. The next question is called the sliding doors question. No, sometimes I think my life has been a series of sliding doors. I mean, you always have to pivot based on the situation. Don't ever think you've got it all figured out. Mm-hmm. and Don't ever think things are going to be the way they are. Things constantly change. Situations change. Mm-hmm. Your life changes. And uh, I think it's really true what people say. A lot of your life is uh, what happens to you, and most of it's really how you handle what happens to you. Mm-hmm. So I think you've got to stay positive, and I think it's really important that you understand that Uh, sometimes you just have to pivot Mm. and things aren't always what they seem. Mm -hmm. And even your current situation you were explaining off air earlier, that sounds like a sliding doors moment as well. Are you open to sharing that? Sure, sure. I was in the private club business and I was very, very happy and content running uh, the tennis, fitness, spa and aquatics operation at a very large country club. And an opportunity presented itself that I never thought would present itself where I could actually work in tennis only at a public tennis center and actually focus the rest of my career, who knows how long it'll be, but the rest of my career on growing tennis at a public park. And I started in a public park. I grew up learning tennis at a public park and uh, playing on high school courts. So it's kind of refreshing to be back on the courts teaching tennis, growing tennis, and 
if you had told me that, if you had told me five years ago that at age 64, I would be in a new job with a new challenge, doing, learning totally different things about how municipalities work and learning uh, really, really how a, how a public tennis center operates, I would have said you're crazy. But so what's the term? The, the sliding glass mm-hmm. door? The sliding, sliding yeah, door. I, I, slid, I slid right through one. So it's all good. <laughs> I love how you were helping them find a director as well. And all of a sudden they're like, ah, you're the perfect man for the job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was pretty much the way it went. I, yeah. I really didn't have any idea that it would be me that yeah. they would be searching for, but mm. um, it wound up being a good fit. I was yeah. a resident. I lived there and nice. uh, it worked out well. Nice. The next question is in one to a maximum of three words, what do you think makes a great coach? Empathy. I think a great coach has empathy. I think a great coach can really look at a student and not look at it from the coach's eyes, but try to look at the sport from a student's eyes. Mm -hmm. I think it's probably one of the best gifts that you can have as a teacher is understanding it's not about me, it's about them. It's not about how well I can teach. It's about how well I can help them learn Mm. and really have true empathy Mm -hmm. because you have people who have different athleticism. You have people that have different desires and different goals. And I think if you have, if if you're exceptional in empathy and understanding, uh, you know, how to help them, that's what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You're helping. Mm-hmm. You're allowed two more qualities only if you want them or you just leave it at empathy up to you? I guess the other would be maybe goal-driven. I think that would probably be two words that I would use because the sooner you can assess their goals and what they want to do, and you'll have students that want to get a workout. You're going to have students that want to have uh, success. You'll have students that want to go to college. You'll have sometimes a, a lady who just wants to move up a level on the team. But I think if you can understand what they're trying to do and align yourself and align your whole coaching philosophy around trying to help them reach their goal, I think there are two times in coaching that you have tremendous frustration. One is when you want more for the student than they want for themselves. That's a real barrier because if they don't want to be great, sometimes they just want to be good. It's okay. Sometimes the student actually has higher aspirations than are reasonable. And I think sometimes then a, a good, a good uh, coach will be able to kind of scale their goals down a little bit and say, okay, it's great that you want to be the number one player in the world, but wouldn't a good start be uh, ranked in the top 50 in Florida? Wouldn't a great start be playing number one on your mm. high school team and kind of get their goals aligned with, you know, reasonable? Mm. I love that. What great language there just for our listeners around uh, wouldn't it be a great start? I love that. It's it's future-based and it's um, specific and realistic. I love that. Our last question. Wise beyond oh, yes. my years. Yeah, I said that earlier, see? All right, listeners, our final question on the coaching podcast is where we ask you to ask us a question. What's that one question that always sparks your curiosity? I'm a big Simon Sinek fan. Mm-hmm. The why? And I love the why. I love to always come back to the why. Mm. Why are you doing it? Mm-hmm. Why, why do you want this? Mm-hmm. And then sometimes if you can just be really simple and just focus on the why, 
everything just kind of falls together from there. Such a great question for us all to reflect on here on the Coaching Podcast. And if I may take the liberty of some off-topic random questions to the man with wisdom. Here we are in Vegas. Let's start with that, actually. Coach education. I don't know your history with with USPTA, but what do you think about conferences and coach education? Where, Where do you stand with that? Well, I used to be the president years and years and years ago. I did not know that. See, you see? That's even better. Exactly. It's better that you didn't know. Uh-huh. Um, coaches' education, I think, is really, really important because everybody needs to grow. Everybody can be better. I think anytime somebody tells me that they're the perfect teacher or they're a great teacher, I think good teachers probably the first thing they realize is that they, they don't know everything. You know, it's what you don't what, – what's the quote? Um it's what you learn after you know it all that counts. Mm. Um, I think that's really, really important. I think coaches' education is really, really key. I mean, I could sit and listen to uh, five seminars from someone who I've never heard before, and I can always pick up something. I can always pick up a couple of nuggets. I think the best part about a convention, really, though, is the networking. Mm-hmm. It's the it's getting to be around your peers, being around like-minded people, you know, trying to meet some strangers, trying to meet people like us. Yeah. Who, when was it, have we ever sat down and talked? No. You and I, ever. Nope. I think a pretty good example. I think if yeah. you can sit around with like-minded people mm. and pick their brains and ask them what they think about things, it, uh, it, it's very, very helpful. Yeah, and just on that note, an example to our listeners out there was literally when I walked up to Chuck, honestly, about one hour ago and asked him to be on the podcast and said to meet me in, in an hour and let's do it right here, right now. I think there's value in seizing the moment because sometimes we can exchange business cards and people, for whatever reason, don't always follow up or, you know, for different people don't get emails. They, they don't right. necessarily. So it's, it's sometimes it's just best to seize the moment, especially if you've got an opportunity to connect with a mentor. I've never met a mentor who said no when I've said, hey, can I buy you a coffee for 15 minutes of your time. So what what are your oh, – you must have mentored many coaches along the way, but what are your thoughts on mentorship and who's who's been one of your greatest mentors? Oh, I've been really lucky. I've been really blessed. I've had some great mentors. I think uh, professionally teaching-wise, I think um, Tom Gullickson and Tim Gullickson were just terrific people for me to be around because they taught me a couple of things about coaching that have stayed with me for, for decades. One is that the, the misconception that the pros have all the shots. I think a lot of young coaches think, ah, oh, the pros have all the shots. It's just between their ears. That's an absolute fallacy. If there's a, if there's a shot that breaks down under pressure consistently, technically something is probably wrong. So they really taught me to, you know, dig deep and not worry so much about being afraid to change something, being afraid to tweak someone. Another person who I would consider a mentor, even though they actually worked for me, was Jay Berger. I think Jay is probably one of the best technical coaches, uh, along with the Gullicksons that I've ever been around. And he really uh, takes professionalism to a whole nother level. When I watch the work that he's done with Riley Opelka, and then I watch the work he does with club players back when I was at Ibis, he does an incredible job of videotaping them, studying them, understanding what they're capable of doing and really rolling up his sleeves and trying to go about how to make them better. The other thing about Jay 
which is very impressive, is he's absolutely not afraid to let other people look at his students. He actually encourages it. He wants a whole team. He wants everybody to go by. And, you know, he helped create a culture where I was and what I'm trying to create now in Wellington, where the other coaches understand the importance of collaboration. If I'm on the court with a student and they're having a hard time with a backhand, I want to be secure enough to ask Jesus or Liz or one of my coaches at IBIS to, hey, what do you see over here? And just to hear. Now, I might not agree with it, or they might say the exact same thing, but you need to be secure enough to, you know, bring in other points of view. Don't don't think that you're out there on an island, and for God's sakes, don't think you know it all. <laughs> Singing to my philosophy and sort of what I do for a living, right. which is coming in and, and helping build on what is already there. Right. And not saying I know it all either, but it is about value add, isn't it? And I think you mentioned it earlier about being a great l- learner and listener as well. That's, that's really important. Yeah. What are your top tips on coaching female players? I love coaching female players. I like coaching our ladies' teams at our club uh, of all levels. I think empathy, I'll go back to that word again, because I think you you have to understand that they have different goals. You have to um, understand that they're all a little different, not unlike the guys. They have different levels that they like to be worked. Some really want to be worked hard. Some need a little more reassurance. I found it really helpful to um, make sure everybody knows that they have untapped athleticism because a lot of players, particularly, uh, and I'm not talking about competitive young juniors, I'm talking about adult females who are sometimes just taking up the game. A lot of times they think because they didn't play sports growing up that they're not athletic. And I happen to think that in many cases they're actually very athletic. They just haven't been exposed to sports. So growing up not playing soccer or not playing traditional sports growing up, I think a lot of times women find, probably more so than the guys or the boys that grew up playing sports, I think they discover um, sometimes later in life that they're actually quite athletic and that they can learn a skill. And just because they haven't tracked a soccer ball as a six-year-old doesn't mean they can't learn to track a tennis ball at age 50. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. You're looking at me like I'm saying something you like. And it's probably because sometimes I have those moments where we haven't sat down before. And so when you're singing to parts of my coaching philosophy that I passionately believe in, the smile is like, as you can feel it, the energy. And and I've done so much podcasting, I try not to talk too much in between because I love – extrapolating as much as I can out of out of your wisdom. So I'm loving what I'm hearing and I really hope our listeners are, are curious and open because I always say you don't have to agree with anything that we both say. You just have to be super curious, which right. is one of my lines. So, Chuck, you were saying that you really enjoy Simon Sinek's, some of his leadership quotes. Can you go back to the quote that you just said? Well, no, that wasn't really a quote by Simon. Okay. That was, that's a quote by kind of indirectly me. Ah, we love that. Well... Um, Hang on. It is like yeah. we take the wisdom and we add it to our own coaching toolkit or leadership toolkit. Go ahead. So for for everyone that I've ever managed or everyone I've ever had in my charge, I always try to make it really clear that if something goes wrong, it's my fault. It's absolutely my fault. And there are only two reasons that they didn't perform well. Either I didn't train them well enough and I didn't take enough time 
to train them, that person. You know, I can't just say the same thing to 20 people and have them all process it the same. I've got to make sure that each person understands exactly what to do. I need to make sure that if you did something wrong, it's probably because I wasn't either one, clear enough with my description of what I wanted done, or two, I didn't understand that you would not be capable of doing it despite my best efforts to explain it. Those are the only two reasons. So if I act mad at you, I'm really a little bit upset at myself for misreading the situation. Mm-hmm. And then, as Simon says in one of his things, or one of his speeches, he said, being a leader is tough. And leadership is really a difficult job because what it implies is, is as a leader, whenever anything goes well, you have to give all the credit to everyone else. That's what good leaders do. You make sure that everyone else feels good about it and they understand that they get the credit for what happened right. And then conversely, when things go horribly bad, you can't blame it on the other people. You can't let them shoulder that responsibility. That all has to come back on you. And as he said so eloquently, that sucks. That's a horrible job. When, it, when everything goes great, you have to give the credit to everyone else. And when things go bad, you have to be the person that accepts all the blame. It's a pretty shitty proposition. <laughs> I love it. There you have it, Leadership 101. And finally, let's go with... What are you thinking deeply about right now that maybe other people might think you're a little crazy? (laughs) Let's see. What am I thinking? Well, if you listen to my wife, she would tell you that I don't think too deeply about too much. (laughs) Um, Another great – there's a lot of value in simplicity. Yeah, I I try to be pretty simple. I love this podcast. I love this format. I love the fact that we're – we're like off the beaten path and we plan this whole thing like mm-hmm. in si- within 60 minutes and now it's all done. I think that's incredibly cool. I just think it's nice that people like you care and people like you care enough to try to get information out and try to get it out in nice bite-sized nuggets that people can extrapolate and understand. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. I think we need more people in the world that care. Mm-hmm. I think more people need to yeah. give a damn about helping others. Yeah. Yeah, it goes a long way and just by us spending time together and connecting right now, now gives us an, the next platform for when we catch up next as well, which I, I love that as well. It, it, it forms an indirect connection yep. even at a random conference, otherwise known as the USPTA World Conference here in Las Vegas 2021. It's been an absolute pleasure, Chuck Gill. You are someone I'd love to continue to hang out with. Emma, let's do it. Let's make sure we do it sooner than later. Sounds good. Thanks, everybody, for listening and have a wonderful day. The Coaching Podcast was brought to you by Emma Doyle and Simon Blair. Emma Doyle is a global speaker and performance coach helping unleash human potential. Her website is emmadoyle.com.au. And I'm Simon Blair, trainer, assessor, and coach of sales and customer service skills with my own company, Five Degrees. Connect with me on LinkedIn or email me at simon.blair at five degrees, that's F-I-V-E-D-E-G-R-E-E-S dot com dot A-U.